0: At the end of the reading i will end with the words this is the word this is the word of the lord do please respond by saying thanks be to god slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only with their eye when their eye is on you and to carry their favor but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the lord whatever you do work at it with all your heart as working for the lord not for human masters since you know that you will receive an inheritance From the Lord as a reward it is the Lord Christ you are serving anyone who does wrong will be repaid for their wrongs and there is no favoritism chapter 4 verse 1 masters provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master in heaven this is the word of the Lord
1: Thank you, Dennis. Good morning, everyone. I was very unenthusiastic. Good morning. You almost sound like you're feeling sorry for someone. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's get the the elephant out of the room. All right. Um, for those who are coming for the first time, uh, nice to have you. We're really happy you're here. Um, but I should say that I often don't come up with this. So what's the explanation? For those of you who have been coming to City Church for a while, um, maybe serving, you would have seen me at different points, maybe at home, the office, or maybe here. Not in public, but I would have something on my neck. Now, it's normally not this elaborate. So let me say a few things about it. For a few years, I've been having um, a particular condition, and it has to do with my neck. And my back was centrally my neck, and it affects my nervous system. And so that's meant I've always I've been living with a lot of uh, pain for a while. Now, I had to undergo an MRI recently to be sure w- whether things were getting better, things were getting worse, because I had increased symptoms and some new symptoms. Now, the good news is um, the diagnosis could have been much worse much, much worse, and it wasn't. The not so good news is things haven't gotten better. So this color that I'm wearing is uh, to help see whether or not, over the next couple of weeks, if I keep wearing, whether or not it can make certain things better um, uh, so that we won't have to have a more drastic intervention, basically. So, um, so. I wanted to address that publicly so that you won't load me with many questions. I have to keep answering the same questions, all right? So I know you may still have one or two more questions. If you do, uh, uh, let me put it this way. Something that will be more helpful than questions will be your prayers. I would really appreciate that. But if after you've prayed long enough and you still have some questions, please direct them to Akiyemi or He <laughs> will be able to answer that. All right, so now we've gotten that out of the way. Someone turn to your neighbor and say, life is unfair. <laughs> now, I don't mean because of this, right? <laughs> That's if you have a neighbor. Sorry, Toby. All right. Well, okay. right, okay, let's just say it together, life is unfair. Life is unfair. Now, maybe you may be here, and you don't think so. Uh, maybe life has not been unfair to you. But I know there are a number of people, in this city in particular, that life has been unfair to. And I'll give you one specific thing that life uh, that shows this unfairness that happens in life. So you are born into this world. And you start to see that this world operates in a certain way. You have to listen to your parents, so you listen to your parents. You try to be as good a child as possible. They send you to school. You go to school. You read your books. You pass your exams. You try to be a very good student. You go through secondary school, primary school, secondary school, university. You graduate. You start learning about the laws of the land. You know that if you do certain things, um, you'll be sent to prison. If you don't, you live as a, as a good citizen. So you, you don't have a criminal record. You get a job. You work. You do everything to be able to fit into this world. But there was one thing you didn't learn. Just this one thing and you're penalized by it. You didn't learn how to dance. They are saying, why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important in this Lagos. So after you've lived this whole life, you find this person that you want to marry. You want to marry this person, right? And then you realize that this person can dance. I don't mean that this person is a dancer, stepper. And then you plan. You set the date. And for some reason, as you are getting towards the date, as you start planning, the day fills you with dread. Not because you've married the wrong person. No. It's not that. But you remember there's something called a dance in into the reception. And so now you are going to have to dance with this person that can dance. And you know how those dancings are. If it's meant the distance between where you enter and where you are going is just like from here to that AC. But what do the, what do these wicked people that are the plan the wedding, what do they do? No. They set a path that comes like this and goes that way before you get there. It's so long. So you are thinking, what will I do? You, par- you practice you've a number of steps. You've actually thought, okay, from the here to the third, I'll do this step. Then the next third, I'll do this other step. And then the next one you think you'll do it well. But then, somebody say people are wicked. <laughs> you are going, you are going. As you are going forward with your partner that is dancing, you are trying, trying, the person says, hey, let me come back again. <laughs> and then you have to come back, you have to stay there. Some of the 10 or 15 worst minutes of your life, life is what? Unfair. Because one thing we do know about a good dance in now if two of you could not dance, you know, you somehow remove that segment from the from the from the from the reception. You remove it. But if only one of you can dance, you see what the problem is. But to have a good dancing, we know that you need what? Two. As the saying goes, it takes how many people to tango? Two. two people to tango. Now Paul has realized that a lot of our relationships are like dances. It takes two to be able to make it work. So we treated parenting. And Paul didn't just address the parents. Who did he address as well? The children. We treated marriage. Paul didn't just address the wives. Who did he address to? Husbands. And so in this text, Paul is saying, for our working relationships to work, no pun intended, for them to work properly, we're not just going to address the subordinates. We're also going to address the bosses as well. Now, before I transition, some people are saying this text, boss, relationship, last time I read it, it was master and slaves. So why are you you know, just skirting over that as though it didn't matter? Well, let me say some things. I should say three things about the Bible's view on slavery in general, but three things about what this text also says, so that we can move on to the rest of the sermon, all right? So three things about slavery in general that the Bible would say. One, um, the Old Testament Jewish slavery, first century Roman slavery, like, we have, we, uh, that, like this is set in, the context this is sent in, 19th century racial-based slavery, and modern-day slavery, where you have human trafficking. All of them, they have fundamental um, um, uh, commonalities, but they also have significant differences, all right? They also have significant differences. That's the first thing. The second thing is that the Bible condemns slavery in all its forms in all its forms. So even though they have this certain uh, significant differences the Bible will condemn slavery in all its forms. Third thing. A significant number of those who fought for the abolition of slavery were Christians. And they were Christian and, and they fought for this abolition not in spite of their Christianity, like, oh, we know the Bible has good things to say about slavery. No. They fought against it. They fought for the abolition of slavery because of their Christianity. So you take people, obviously, prime example is William Wilberforce. So those are three things, in general, about the Bible's view of slavery. But now, particularly this text, let me say three other things. Now, Paul addressing the slaves, by Paul addressing the slaves, here is what it shows. It shows that The slaves in that context were equally gathered with all the other Christians and treated as responsible human beings that could make choices. I mean, because it doesn't make any sense. Why is Paul sending a letter and he's saying slaves if he doesn't think that when this is being read out, the slaves will be able to hear? So that means that unlike certain kinds of gatherings that you had in those times, slaves didn't even have a choice. They couldn't be with their masters in those places. So this new religion, it isn't meant to be an elitist. How can it be for those dirty slaves? No, it's for the master and the slave alike. And the fact that Paul is saying certain things to the master, and saying you need to do this. And he's saying the same thing to the slave. There's an equality that is being expressed there. They They are treated in this community, the Christian community, as people, as responsible people who can make certain choices about their behavior. Second thing. He constantly undermines the master-slave relationship. How? By making both of them, by relativizing it and making both of them know that they are both slaves. Because notice, he tells the masters in uh, verse 1 of chapter 4, provide your slaves with what is right and fair. Why? Because you know that you also have a master in heaven. They both have one ultimate master, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he kept undermining that particular relationship as it would be expressed in the Norman-Roman world. And then the third thing is, the fact that Paul comments on the relationship between the master and slave is not an endorsement of the institution. He's making a comment of an institution that he's met that was well entrenched in in the society, but it doesn't mean that he was endorsing it. You know, some of us work in certain organizations, large organizations, you, you know, you, you've seen the news that your organization has bribed certain communities and blah, blah. Now, the fact that they are still working there doesn't mean you endorse it. But it's a reality of the situation that is there. Now, if you want to see even for, uh, how he further undermines um, the, the, the uh, place of slavery, and you can see that um, he doesn't believe in it, read the, uh, the book of Philemon, that one chapter. That you have in the New Testament, and also he 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 says slave traders. Paul says that slave traders will be will not have their place in the eternal kingdom of God. Amen. So with all those three things, can we move forward? I want to say something with this particular text, though. Based on the last point, Paul doesn't endorse it, but he actually comments on a situation where you have a hierarchy, that um, that a hierarchy of relationships. Now, in our places of work, a lot of us in this time where slavery has already been abolished, we still work, um, we still have working relationships that are structured in certain hierarchies, right? We have bosses and we have subordinates, right? And that's why we can still apply to this place of work. Work is really important, as many of us know. Um, For instance, you know, if I, how many of us uh, like pizza? Pizza? Let's see those who have abandoned their culture. I don't know whether you're some of the people that like to ship it in from from England. Um, Now, a pizza is this round thing. Usually, how many slices do we divide it into? Eight. Eight, all right. Now, if your whole working life, from when you are born, your whole um, waking life, that's when you are awake, about a third of our lives is spent sleeping. All right, but um, if you take your whole waking life as a pit, as um, one box of pizza. How many of it do you think you spend at work? Divide into eight. Three. three. Well, that's because you're in the first service. <laughs> no, you weren't. Wow. Oh, You've been checking. You've been reading the stats. Brilliant girl. Brilliant girl. All right. So three of the eight, that is, three-eighths of our lives, is spent there. About 38% of our lives is spent at work. Now, when you think about the fact that you don't work for the first 22, 23 years of your life, just imagine what that means most of us are at work. By the time you live here, Sunday is not really the reality of your life, right? Monday to Saturday for a lot of us. And so that's why I felt that we want to address this issue of our working relationship, because most of us work with people. So you're spending so much of your life there. Um, how we live as Christians under the lordship of Jesus Christ is really important. So that's why i this titled this, sermon, uh, this uh, two-part sermon 9 to 5. Now, we're going to say 9 to 5, but realize most people in Lagos are not working 9 to 5. So we just said 9 to 5 plus, OK? So this week, we're going to look at, we're going to lay some foundation so it's a little bit more theological. And next week, we'll try and make it a little bit more practical. But we're going to look at the sermon in three headings, all right? The first is disordered working relationships. The second is reordering reordered working relationships. So distorted, reordered. And then restored working relationships, distorted, reordered, and restored. All right, thank you. So let's go to the first one. The first one. Now, I've made this comment with the last two relationships. That's parenting and um, and marriage. That when you look at Paul's instructions for it, they look a bit too brief. Like it's just it just says certain things. Now this one is a bit longer. But why is it that brief? And and what I've said is this: Paul um, assumes that this person, that uh, the people he's addressing, already understand the biblical narrative about the issues that he's talking about. That is, they have been set in. There are certain biblical principles that are there, and so his instructions is building on from that. Now, for us to understand what some of those things, we have to go to the very beginning of the Bible. So we'll look at Genesis 1, 2, and 3 for certain things. So let's turn our Bibles there. In Genesis chapter 1, God created all things. The God of the Bible created all things. And he said each time he created it, they were good, they were good, they were good. Now he gets to his final creation, his apex creation. Now why do we call it the apex creation? That is the crowning glory of all that he's created. Why do we say that? Because in Genesis 1, 27, he says that he created them in his Image, he created them in his image. He didn't say this about any other creature. Now, there's so much we can say about what it means to be created in God's image. But one of the things you must say, one irreducible fact is, human beings are going to reflect God in a way that other creatures cannot. They'll reflect image because you know you have an. Um, when you talk about image, we think about mirrors, right? And so what we see there resembles a lot the person what you see in reality. So we are going to reflect God in certain things that God does. What are some of the things that God does? Now look at verse 2 and 3 of chapter 2. Verse 2 and 3 of chapter 2. It says there that by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. The work he'd been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work, Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So, one of the things we see here is that this creation of the world is referred to as what? Work. In other words, the Bible presents us with a God that actually works. If he works and we are created in his image, what does that mean about us? We are to what? So you see in verse 15, very quickly, that he's created this human being. And in verse 15, it says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to do what? To work it. In other words, you work not just because you want to survive. You work not just because that's what it means to be able to make money and to be able to eat. You work because you are created in the image of God. There are so many people, I find, they're already at the age of 70. right? So that means that they are retired. They are retirement age. They are still working. Most of those people are volunteering, or they are maybe volunteering in their church. They're volunteering in some kind of NGO. Why? Because most people feel like, if I'm not working, I am dying. In fact, they say a lot of people who extend their lives are those who continue to work beyond their retirement age. Why? Because it's inherent in us to work. Because we are created in God's Im- in the image of a God that also works. Amen? So that means I can now give you a two-quiz question. A two-quiz question, right? Very simple. Very simple. Now, don't behave like the first uh, service guys. This is not a trick. This is not a trick, uh, whatever. According to what we've seen here, who does the creating? You guys? <laughs> And then you said God. How many gods? One. OK, I'll ask you again. Who does the creating? God. How many? One. OK. That means, if you are correct, if it's one God that does the creating, that would make, that would make um, verse 26 make sense. Verse 26, where it says, let me make man in my image and in my likeness. Right? Somebody say, heresy. Why are you guys looking at me funny? What? Because I'm talking funny. Oh, my gosh. Am I? Let me, make, let, me, let me make man in my image and in my likeness. What's wrong with that? Yeah? But it's one God. So why are we talking in plural? Well, actually, no. We, we know what's going on there that this one God, absolutely one, this one God exists in a multiplicity of persons. And the multiplicity of persons does not make him three gods. He is one God. Amen? One God existing in three persons, which means when we say God created, we are saying Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, what? Created. That's why he can then say, let us make man in our image. What does this tell us fundamentally? It means that for the creation of the world to have happened, for the productivity of this world that we see to come to pass, relationship preceded it, and relationship produced it. In other words, the working relationship is a prerequisite for the productivity of that world. What am I saying? If we are created in God's image, then human working relationships is a prerequisite for whatever we are going to produce. Amen. Amen. See, really? No,, that was back in the day. But, for me, we have what we call technology. technology, right? I've got my smartphone, I've got my work. I don't go to anywhere. I work on my own. I work on my own. Really? Let me give you an example. My wife is a, a baker. She employs herself. She's a very good baker, three T. We are taking orders. Um, <laughs> she works. She doesn't employ anybody, keeps the, uh, her, her overheads down. So she works on her own. right? Now, let me tell you two things she needs to actually produce her cake. She needs ingredients, and she needs tools. Do you agree? All right, she doesn't do magic. right? She needs ingredients, and she, she needs tools. Guess what? She didn't make the tools, or neither do we have a farm in our, in our backyard. How did she get the tools, and how did she get the ingredients? She bought, she bought them. So there were traders that trade in tools and trade in ingredients. Let's think about the traders in the tools. How did the traders of the tools, how did they get them? Well, they had maybe suppliers that supplied them with it. How did the suppliers make them? How did the suppliers get them? The manufacturers. Maybe. How did the manufacturers uh, make them? Well, they got materials for maybe miners. Now, can you see what's happening? For my wife to be able to produce the cake that she um, did, she needed tools. But for her to get those tools, she needed traders. For the traders, they needed manufacturers. For the manufacturers, they needed miners. Along the whole value chain. You need human beings there. It's the same thing with the ingredients. You go to the traders, but the traders have the suppliers, the suppliers with the farm. But even those farmers, they need tools. So you get back to the whole manufacturing. You always need human beings that work in relationships. Now, some would say, oh, well, but she is not. The the proximity um, um, uh, between her and those people is still far removed. I don't know about the, do I need to work in an office, close office relationship? That's my problem. But go back to the God who created us. That God who created us has been, when you talk about proximity, for him to be triune, for him to be three and fully united, what does that mean about his proximity? The the closest community you would ever find is the community of God. In other words, you had an eternal, mutually edifying, impeccably ordered relationship that produced the stunning world that we, you and I, know. Which means that your office relationship, for those of us who work in close relationships with people, it's not as a matter of necessity. It is built into design of what it means to be human. Amen. Amen. And for us to really produce anything, if these relationships are shaped like a garden, as we'll see in the second point. Remember, where was Adam taken? Where was Adam taken to work? He was taken in to the garden. We'll find great levels of productivity. This is the design. That the relationship should be like a garden. The environment should be like a garden to produce the things that God has called us to produce. But here was the problem. That narrative did not remain that way, because we go into Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter 3, the tempter comes and tells the image bearers they can be like the reality of what they are reflecting. He says that you you are created an image of God, yes, but that's not enough. How about being like God? How about being God yourself? Now, that led to a whole jacking up of the process, because then they fell. And let me read what verse 17 says. It says, Cursed is the ground for you, because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles, and you will eat plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and dust from dust you are dust you are and to dust you will return. So now they have a broken relationship with God. I didn't read about the relationship with themselves, but that also has now become uh, tenuous, and now they also have a terrible relationship with the environment. What was once a garden has now become a howling wilderness. In, verse 1, in chapter 1 of 28, uh, 128, it said, God bless them. Here we find God is cursing them. And notice, even with all of that, God did not say that they will not be able to produce anything from their work again. He said, the conditions of this work has now totally changed. But yet, we still produce things. If you go to the next chapter in chapter 4, the first murderer, the first child of Adam and Eve, you know what he's identified as first? Not as a man, but he's identified as a tiller of the ground. He was a farmer. And then the most wicked of his descendants is a guy called Lamech. I'll tell you a bit about Lamech. But first of all, I want to see what the Bible does, especially in Genesis, with genealogies. There was another brother called Seth. After Cain murdered Abel, who was the seventh from Seth in terms of generations. Do you know his name? His name is Enoch. Have you heard of Enoch? Well, Enoch was said to be... Um, Enoch walked with God. He was faithful to God so much that God didn't even allow him to die. Now, the reason why that is why they spend time on Enoch is because he's the seventh, and in the Bible, seven has a significant. Uh, it has some significance, usually a word of perfection. All right, so Enoch is seen is held out of this model. But before Enoch, Cain, the murderer, who was a farmer, who eventually built a city. Cain's seventh is a guy called Lamech, a guy who used to boast to his wives that he killed a young man for, for looking at him funny. You know how, you know, some of, some, some, especially in Lagosian women, I don't know why. You know, we men never ever spot when somebody looks at us funny. See, do you see how she looked at me? <laughs> she looked at me like I was a small girl, like I was very stupid like I slap somebody. You know, they are able to interpret everything just by someone's look. Well, Lamech was like you, (laughs) except that Lamech actually killed somebody for doing that. And he was boasting about it, such an evil man. I wonder how he raised his kids. Well, we're told how he raised his kids. He raised them to be very good at what they did. He didn't raise them with morals, but he raised them to be very, very skillful. One of his kids was an innovator in music. I'm I'm talking about Genesis 4, 19 to 22, an innovator in music. Another of his kids was an innovator in metallurgy. He dealt with iron, he dealt with bronze, all of those kinds of things. What am I trying to say? If you go further down, even in Genesis chapter 11, you'll find that man, in working relationship with one another, was able to produce this tower, the Tower of Babel. It was a symbol of collective opposition to God. The fact that we are able to produce things does not justify the means through which we're able to get them. Let me give you a modern-day example. Dubai is a very nice place. It's, it's just a stunning for those of us that have been there for me. It's, it's close to being the most stunning city in the world. And particularly because of the skyscrapers that it has. So in Dubai, you have this building called the Burj Khalifa the tallest building in the world. You can see how it just stands above all people. I mean, it's, it's a magnificent thing. And I think it's a, it's a work of architecture and civil engineering that should be celebrated by all people. Magnificent. But how was it produced? How was it brought about? Well, the people that built it, the laborers that built it, they, they don't have good memories of this. In fact, many of them were shipped in from India. For quite a number of them, their passports were seized so that you can't just return. You have to fulfill these working conditions. Many of them were working for t- 12 hours a day, six days a week. And they were paid as low as $4 a day. In Dubai, the unions unionizing is illegal. Striking is illegal. So if you don't like your working conditions, well, sorry. <laughs> Go back to work. And what about the living conditions? They had these camps that they used to put them. In those camps, they said that the latrines were so filthy, terrible. They also said that the roads were filled with a lot of garbage, and they were waterlogged. Do you want to know what the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the answer to that equation is? Well, you have terrible latrines. You have garbage-filled, waterlogged roads. You know what that is? It cause infections. Terrible working conditions. It was so bad that at one point the, um, sorry, I, I'll I'll correct myself. But it was so bad that at one point the Indian consulate in Dubai said they were experiencing two suicides every week. But the Burj Khalifa is wonderful, and I mean that not in a facetious way, because I do think. If you have the opportunity to go and see it, please go and see it. Whenever I go to Dubai, it's like I'm always just, I marvel at what human beings are, when we come together, what we're able to do. What the Bible is saying is that as we do that as well, many of the things we produce, they are produced out of unhealthy working relationships. All right, now some of you are saying, I know what you're talking about, you should come to my office. That takes me to the second point. We'll go to your office now. Now, in the second point, we ordered working relationships. Let's go back to Paul. The context in which Paul is speaking, this, I've laid that context, which is human beings are created to work and working relationships are intrinsically, um, they're, intri- they're inherently important for the things that we achieve. So when Paul is addressing these two groups of people, what Paul has at the back of his mind is that I am talking to people that sin has affected equally but has also affected uniquely based on the, uh, the role that they play in the relationship. That the sin has affected everyone. So these people are sinners or, are, uh, or have sin in their lives. It's affected all of them. However... The sin is going to be expressed differently from the boss than it is expressed from the subordinate, amen? So what Paul is saying is that for bosses, they will tend to go towards abuse. That's why he says, be fair. Whereas with subordinates, they will tend to go towards deceit. One tends to be abusive, the other one tends to be deceptive. So what Paul is doing with these instructions is that he's trying to reorder the relationships in a way that will make it work. Let me give you some examples. You, uh, your name is Aisha. Aisha, you're a singer. You've loved music all your life. And by the time I'm, When I'm talking about Aisha, I'm talking about loving music. I'm not talking about you that sings in the toilet and things that you sing like Whitney like Houston or something. You are just terrible. If your if your spouse hasn't told you, you are. If your mother hasn't told you, they love you, but they're not doing you well, so I can tell you, all right? Don't think you can audition for our music team here. <laughs> all right, please, stay away. But Aisha, Aisha can sing. Aisha loves music, and so she's pursued her career, and now she's finally gotten a break. She signs for this particular music label. However, the know-it-all producer she's been, uh, that's been given to her berates her at every corner. He reminds her that she cannot read music. He compares her to established acts negatively. For instance, you said, you will never, no matter how much you try, you will never be like Asha. He also reminds her of her physical flaws. No matter who you are, you will never be like. No, I'm filling the blank. <laughs> I'm married. Um, He compares, he he berates her physically, he berates her with her intellectually, he berates her at every corner. You know what Paul will say about this guy? Paul will say this is a boss who is not providing her what is right and fair to be able to develop her. Can I get a witness in the house? But here's another one. Yinka, a logistics entrepreneur, she likes to solve problems. So she eventually sets up her small business with 15 Okada drivers to deliver food, cakes, and light goods all around Lagos. But despite being humane, only two of her drivers are regularly prompt. She has to service her bikes with twice the normal frequency due to the driver's negligence. She has to pay the cost of five ring cakes monthly due to the careless driving of those people. She's constantly, at least in last, she's in last month offices every week because of the flouting of rules of her drivers. And yet, when they, seen, when they see her, they always seem to be on their best behavior, especially when the end of the month is coming. You know what Paul says about those people? He said, those are people who just service the eyes. He says, don't be an eye-server. He said, they service the eyes. As long as she's around, they are good. But when she's not around, they do what they like. This is how sin, though it has affected everyone, when it comes to the situation between a boss and a subordinate, it affects them how? Uniquely. The boss tends to be abusive, and then the subordinate tends to be deceptive. Paul says if you are living like this, he remembers what happened then. He says you are operating out of a wilderness paradigm of work. What's the wilderness paradigm based on? It's based on survival. You know what I mean? How many of us have been in the wilderness? Desert? Huh? But you went on a, on a desert safari. You see, see, see life. Ah, gosh. Now imagine you were in the desert, but actually you were there not for fun and games. You were actually there walking through. You found yourself somehow crashing the place. What is the one thing, and there are like three of us, what is the one thing we are all looking to try to do in that desert? Survive. What is the next place we can find water? If you have water in a, in a bottle, you'll be mizing it, right? When you are in the desert, the number one thing is self-preservation and survival. And many of us work in conditions that is solely based on survival. Two of you, um, Ahanatu and uh, Lola, good friends. Good friends in in school. They enter into this organization. They were part of the that were taken. 20 of them were taken. And they enter as analysts at the very beginning. It's time for promotion. There are only 10 slots available. Uh, uh, Lola and Hanatu make it. We made it, yeah, we made it. You know, they're still celebrating. The next time for promotion is five slots available. Hanatu was number one, Lola was number two. No problem. Sisters (laughs) together, sisters for life. The next level, only two slots. Available. You know what? They go back to their university days. They start reading together. We're going to do this thing together. And you know what happens? we much prayer, and fasting. The two slots, they both get it. Lola gets married. Hannah is a chief bridesmaid. Hannah gets married, Lola is (laughs) a chief (laughs) bridesmaid. So cute. Godmother to her god, everything. The next row, there's only one slot available. (laughs) All of a sudden, uh, Lola is going through. Hanatu comes and hugs her. Uh, Lola says, ah, this hug. She comes <laughs> to hear me. You do notice how she hugged me. I think she's trying to. Please help me check. Is there anything on my back? <laughs> All of a sudden, their relationship which was based on a garden, because there's this one slot, it's about survival, they start to backstab each other. When it's based on survival, You are not serving the other person. You are in a relationship, a working relationship that wants to serve yourself. And that is the problem. When Paul addresses the slave, he addresses the slave in relation to the master, not the slave in relation to himself. When he addresses the master, he he, he addresses the master about the slave, not himself. And so, what Paul is advocating is going to the garden, the garden metaphor, or the garden paradigm. If the um, wilderness paradigm is based on survival, what do you think the garden paradigm is based on? Flourishing. What I mean by that is, I don't know how many of us grew up, and, because there's no use asking whether you have a garden now. You know, nobody has it, right? You they said the paved paradise to put up a parking lot, right? It's are in an urban environment, but some of us grew up maybe. Where are those that grew up in Ilorin, you know, in Ilorin there are, there are no buildings. Ilorin people, they see that oh area area area. So you guys had gardens, have you? Because they say it's only trees and uh, papaw and all of those things. There or something. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I love Ilorin, but if you had a garden, most of us that have or visited gardens, what do we do in gardens? Ikoine in the 70s, right? That's true. For those of us that were around in the 70s, you remember how it was in the 70s, right? (laughs) But in gardens, what do we do? Is it about survival? Even if there's a fruit that is there, you don't take that fruit because you are hungry. In the garden, we listen to music. In the garden, we rest. In the garden, we read a book. It's not about survival. It's about living your best life. It's about flourishing. Paul is saying this is how work was designed. And so the reordering is a way of tackling the sin that has distorted things so that we can be serving one another so that when we are producing things, it's not just about the product. If you are based solely on the product, your human beings become like products as well. He says, I want you to produce things, but I want it to happen in a a humane way. Then backstabbing, unnecessary firing. It's kind of, if you don't get the job done, somebody else can take it, because you're a mere statistic to me. In the garden, people are treated as people. And what God is saying is that does not have to come, that does not have to replace productivity. You know what the producer could have done? He could look beyond her flaws and encourage her in raw talent without, uh, encourage her in, her in her raw talent that she has without formal training. If only he could look for ways to accentuate her strength and not overemphasize her weaknesses. Maybe he could have recommended a music reading uh, crash, crash course to her. If only he could think less of making her asher and more about making her what God has called her to be. If he did that, that would be a garden where they will both be productive. The Okada Riders. What if they saw and admired her... uh, What was her name again? Yinka. What if they saw and admired Yinka's tenacity to start something from nothing? What if they uh, uh, admired her commitment to pay them on time? What if they admired her knowledge of Lagos's terrain? What if they admired her resolve never to give up? If they respected her and obeyed her, and putting the extra shift, that will be a garden where they will both be productive. So let me ask you, in your place of work, in the roles that you occupy, as a boss or a subordinate, or both, are you contributing to making it a garden or a wilderness? Are you serving the other people? or you are only thinking about yourself. It brings me to the final point. Restored working relationships. Now, Some of us will say, well, I think I can think of three responses. It's all well and good. But if you know my current working situation, you can only work for survival. Another will say, all this sounds nice. But this is Lagos. Besides, our companies are there to make money and not to make friends. And the third person would say, I can understand why you will say that in church. After all, it's church. But we're not in a garden when it comes to working relationships. After all, you said it. The garden was before, the wilderness is now. So why, not live, why live for the past when we can live in the present and the future? The future. Hmm. Um, do you know what a lot of people, particularly college students and maybe single adults in the west do you know one of the things they do a lot during um the autumn and winter months do you know what they do when i was living there i i used to engage in this thing too well two things they i used to do one of them two things they used to do quite often is they work out a lot during the autumn and uh, and winter and then they also get tattoos so Now, why are they doing that? Do you know why they're doing that? Summer is coming. Summer, summer, summer time. Because what's going to happen, I remember back in the day when I used to, you know, work out, um, and you know, so you summer comes out or spring comes out first time, you know, wear the beach body, you know, step out dressed to kill, which means don't really wear much. My eight pack used to show. Um, I, I know you're laughing, keep laughing and judging me now. The only reason it doesn't, I don't have it now because there's no winter in Nigeria. Yeah. All right. So, you know, you come out with your abs, and then you now get this killer tattoo. You know, so some is the big one at the back of their, at their back. So some is just that small one on their kidney. And then the Christian ones, they put in something in Hebrew. You know, just so that it can. They start giving you lessons about, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's, the word is attack. I say starting with the flame, it means that, uh, you know, uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> they look forward to displaying their, physical, their new physical condition. And so, they work out in the present. In other words, their anticipated future is what shapes their current present. Let me ask you, when you think about this issue of work, and you think about the future, the end of the, your life, the afterlife as a Christian, what do you think about? I'll tell you what most of us think about. Ah, uh, What is the hope of a Christian? The hope of a Christian is to make heaven, you no know? It's to make heaven so when that time comes, Jesus is going to come, a trumpet is going to sound, I'm going to be given wings, I will fly, fly, fly away, I will say bye-bye, burn in hell, and I will say thank God I will never have to walk a day in my life again. Hallelujah. That's how we think about it. I'll just be with God singing forever. Some <laughs> people will say, Ah, that will Yobo demand, will say, ah, that one is like work. <laughs> 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 That's what I do now. Now let me tell you about that picture is partly right but mostly wrong. We will be with God forever. when we talk about the future of a Christian being heaven, are you sure about that? Is that the blessed hope? Because when you read the end of the Bible in Revelation chapter 21, what does John say he saw? He said, behold, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. What is this saying? It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth that passed away. What is the old heaven and the old earth? In the beginning, God created what? The heavens and the earth. So when he says that I saw a new heavens and a new earth, what was the, when he said he created the heavens and the earth, is it not this world that we live in? So when he's saying that I am seeing a new heaven and a new earth, he's saying the future is not for you to fly away. The future is here. But that it is something totally restored and something totally renewed. You see, you are created as a human being. Your future is not to become a spirit being. You are created as a human being, but because of sin, we don't live out our humanity fully. So God sent his son to be the true human, to show us what true humanity would be when he resurrected from the grave. We are are not going from humanity to spirit beings. We are going from humanity under Adam to humanity under Christ. Amen? Amen? And because human beings were created for this world, that is why our destination is this world, but this world that is made new. But notice what it also says about this new world. The new world is also a city. I saw a holy city. and say, hey, God, that's not what I want. I would like a rural environment. no city again. Please, too many people. (laughs) Let me tell you what. It will have people. In fact, in Revelation 7, it said, I saw a multitude, multitude of people. These are people that I believe. They say, ah. (laughs) But here, but listen. The problem is that we have taken the ugliness of what cities are about, and that's what we are projecting. You see, when God created, he only created two. But what was his blessing and his mandate to them? He said, be what? Fruitful, multiply, and subdue the earth. What? Replenish it. What is he saying? First of all, God wanted more people. Second, when he says subdue the earth, he's saying, I have given you raw materials. Produce something out of it some of us are sitting here we don't want to be outside why the sun is burning but here we have air condition where were they made in cities when people came together in other words god is saying <laughs> wait for it in the new heavens and the new earth there will be work and but the problem we have is that ah, you are seeing it as a city what would the working conditions be like because in verse 23 and 24 it says the kings of the earth will walk by that city and they will bring their splendor what is their splendor well we know the splendor of Japan it's electronics we know the splendor of, uh, of, of Saudi Arabia it's oil we know the splendor of Nigeria it's Abba alright that's the only place that something is produced it's so, okay I get that but that doesn't help me what would the working conditions be like it's a city it's not a garden Wait for it. Because it says more about it in chapter 22. Listen to what it says about the future. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb, down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of nations. What does that remind you of? Where in the Bible does that remind you? The Garden of Eden, isn't it? The water flowing, the beautiful cool of the day, but there was something missing in the Garden of Eden that is not here. Notice the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is not there again. That is the thing that led us to be able to do evil that brought about the propensity us to create, to, to sin against God is no longer there. To sin against ourselves is no longer there because the human beings that have been now recreated in the image of Christ will not die. Why won't they die? Because they will not sin again. This is why in verse 3 it then says, there shall be no more any curse. The curse has been taken away. Imagine The work that you enjoy without the pain that comes with it many of us are looking and say i don't want to work like that again no you will not work like that again because the conditions will be fantastic the people finally now will be able to not say nonsense because that ability to take nonsense has been taken away there'll be no more backstabbing there'll be no more harsh treatment that is the future of work that the bible presents if that's the future that has been given to us and if our future should anticipate our present why not go into your place of work and make it a garden yes I know it's a howling wilderness but make your own oasis there my boss is this I understand but what is your own contribution if only you know the people under me I know but react as your future is calling you to react